0: More kings left to look at now uh, in the, the southern kingdom of Judah. If you remember, after Solomon's time, the kingdom was split into two um, Jeroboam being the first king of the northern kingdom Israel, and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, being the first king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Out of all the kings that reigned, out of the, the, the 19 kings that reigned in the northern kingdom, none of them were good. Um, all of them were bad and some of them were ugly Um, out of the 20 kings that reigned in the southern kingdom um, eight of them were good out of the 19 kings in the northern kingdom you had uh, a whole host of different dynasties and you basically just had a, a continuous turnover of families reigning and there was just murder and intrigue and espionage and assassinations and All of that was going on in the the north. Uh, But the incredible thing is, is that even during that time of instability, you still had men like Elijah, and Elisha proclaiming the word of God. Uh, But that said, none of the kings were good, and basically uh, the the litmus test, the, the bar was set by Jeroboam, and every bad king, it was said, they... You know, they sinned just like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and they made Israel to sin. Jeroboam introduced idol worship, introduced the golden calves back into the northern kingdom to stop the people going down to Jerusalem to worship during the the feasts three times a year. Uh, And Israel just went from one uh, idolatrous king to the next. That ended up with um, Hosea being the last king of Israel before Assyria came and took Israel captive. Uh, what happened then is from the different parts of the Assyrian empire uh, that had been conquered, uh, they assimilated those people in with the remnant of people left in Israel. And that is where the Samaritans came from. Um, so that's how we, we, we got um, Samaria and the, the Samaritans so during this time Hosea um, uh, was on the throne we saw Hezekiah come to the throne in the southern kingdom Hezekiah was a great king and he led the nation in reform he tore down the uh, the idols that had crept into the southern kingdom he um, kind of restored the worship in the temple and he was a, a really good king and we saw the second chance that Hezekiah had um, that he didn't use properly last week Um, and this week we're going to look at his son Manasseh so we've looked at some kings over the past some kings have been really good some kings started off good and didn't really end that well some kings have been bad Um, some kings have not really been bad enough to be good but have not really been good enough to be bad Uh, some have been really bad Some have been absolutely ugly in terms of their behavior, their demeanor, their attitude, their actions, their words. But Manasseh, if you like, Manasseh is the king of all three. He's bad, and we see how bad he is despite his upbringing. We see that he's ugly, and we see how ugly he is despite all the religious reforms that his father made. But we see in the end that he's good because of the redemption that he finds through the Lord. So 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it says in verse 1 that Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For He built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balim and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord where the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for the, all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image. The idol which he made in the house of God of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together this morning, for this opportunity to come around you a word, Lord, and for the privilege that we have to gather together in this way today. Father, we prayed you'd help us this morning and pray that you'd speak to our hearts, help us to realize how blessed we are uh, for those of us who have a walk with you, uh, that we might hear you a voice, that we might apply you a word to our hearts and to our lives on a daily basis so that it helps us and guides us and protects us and directs us. And Father, we pray that we, we wouldn't make uh, the mistakes of these characters from, uh, that we've looked at over these past few weeks, so, that we would indeed hearken to your voice as we should, and as a result, that we would have a testimony that's not only pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have a testimony that would point others to our Savior. So Father, we just pray now that you would help us this morning. If there's anyone here in this building or anybody watching online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, may today be the day that they would recognize their sins and call on the name of the lord father we pray and ask these things in christ's most precious name amen Uh, so you can see from the the brief verses that we read that manasseh was not a nice person he pretty much has done everything that every wicked king has done before um, he set up idols he's torn down um, the lord's house he's desecrated the Lord's house he's set up altars wherever he could he's made the people to to sin and you know if there was anybody that had no hope and without God in the world it would be this man uh, I know we've often referred to Manasseh as the worst king the southern kingdom of Judah ever had he was awful um we see that not only did he practice in the idolatry of his predecessors, and I think he did far worse uh, than than his predecessors, but he also uh, engaged in the genocide of his own people. Uh, We we might flick back and forth because we we do have um, some extra information in 2 Kings. And if you look at 2 Kings chapter 2, it's not 2 Kings chapter 2. I think it's 21 Uh, and verse 16 it says uh, moreover manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled jerusalem from one end to the other beside his sin wherewith he made judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the lord So not only did he encourage the nation to sin, not only did he encourage the nation to head in an idolatrous direction, not only did he encourage the nation to turn their back on God, but he just shed innocent blood. He literally filled Jerusalem with the blood of the innocent. Do you know there are some people that you would say, there's no way that person could ever be saved. Not a hope. And that's where we would be wrong because the Bible is quite clear that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. If we turn around and said there is no way that that person could ever be saved then we limit the power that the Lord Jesus Christ has. We limit the atoning power of his blood. Now, I understand that God knows who will and will not accept Christ as their savior, but that doesn't mean that the Lord says there is no hope for you whatsoever. You cannot be saved. Listen to me, Judas, even right at the very end, had the opportunity in that upper room for redemption. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ was quite clear about that. No man is too bad to be saved. Here's the problem. Most people are too good to be saved. That's the issue. It's not the fact that people are too bad to be saved. People are too good to be saved. Well, I am not a bad person. And you might not be a bad person, but unless you come to God God's way, unless you accept the fact that nothing uh, that we do can be perfect, unless you accept the fact that there is some kind of sin somewhere in our lives, that stops us from going before a holy God. That stops us going to a holy place. That stops us going to a heavenly home. It's not the fact that people are too bad to be good, uh, to be saved. People are too good to be saved. I'm a good person. And you might be a good person compared to somebody else, but you're not a good person compared to God. For all of sin to come short of what? The glory of God. There was only one person who was perfect. There was only one person who was sinless. There was only one person that did no wrong, could do no wrong, that said no wrong, that thought no wrong, that that didn't act in a wrong way whatsoever. And they nailed him to a cross of Calvary. And because he was perfect, and because he was sinless, he was able to take the whole weight of the sins of the world upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There is hope even for the filthiest of sinners. But there's very little hope for those who are self-righteous. Because that self-righteousness is just another form of pride. And that stops people getting into heaven because they think, I'm okay. So let's look then, first of all, at the bad in terms of Manasseh. He was bad, uh, and he was bad in response to his family. Um, Again, we're in two kings, so um, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 21 and it says manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 55 years in jerusalem and his mother's name was Hepsibar. um in terms of upbringing you know today we like to blame everything on upbringing it's the way that they were raised um in terms of upbringing manasseh had no excuse he he had it made. I mean, his father um, his father was incredible. We, we saw the reforms that his father made, the religious reforms that his father made. In Jerusalem. We saw the restoration of the worship in the temple. We saw that Hezekiah tried to bring the people back to worshiping God. We saw that when Assyria came against the city, what did Hezekiah do? He took the letter from Sennacherib and he brought it before the Lord and just laid the letter out and prayed before God. We saw uh, that when uh, Hezekiah was met with that news that he was sick and to death, what did he do? He didn't cry and say, Oh Lord, this is not fair. I'm a Christian. Everything is meant to go right for me. Hezekiah hezekiah didn't say well lord this is not fair i've done everything that you've said i should do i followed you a word to the letter and i've done everything right this is just not fair what did he do he prayed and hezekiah is a is a man of prayer he's a man of the word he's a man of god So what excuse did Manasseh have? He couldn't turn around and say, well, you know, it's not fair. My father was a drunkard. My father was never there. My father was uh, abusive. My father was this. My father was that. His father was a godly man. But Manasseh was still bad. Mm, Today we blame a lot of our social problems And problems with young people solely upon the parents. Now I understand that the parents play a massive role in the upbringing of our children. Of course we do. We are to train our child in the way that they should go. So when they're old, they're not depart from it. We are to bring up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But that does not mean that we will end up with perfect kids. I've seen many missionaries. That have dedicated their lives to serving the Lord, and their kids are no longer in church. Their kids are not serving the Lord. Their kids are an absolute nightmare. But then I've seen some missionaries, and their kids are adorable. They're wonderful. They're perfect. They're in church. And you can raise kids exactly the same way. But some can follow their own devices. And some can stick with the Lord. Manasseh had no excuse. He couldn't blame his behavior on his father. Well, we know what type of person his father was. We saw last week the type of person that Hezekiah was. So what type of person was his mother? Could the fault lie with ma'am? Mom? Well, I know we can't often read too much into people's names because we've seen a lot of the kings um, of uh, Israel and Judah have had, you know, God in the title of their names, like, you know, God is my, my king or, you know, um, God is my father. And they've still been an absolute nightmare. But I think with, with the words of Hezekiah, maybe we can see that Manasseh's mother was a godly lady. Her name means Hephzibah, or her name is Hephzibah. And that means, my delight is in her. And during Manasseh's reign, Isaiah the prophet used Hephzibah's name in one of his predictions, prophesying that Jerusalem would one day no longer be called forsaken or desolate, but one day Jerusalem itself would be called Hepzibah. my delight is in her so we have a father who trusted the lord a father who clave to the lord a father who worshiped the lord a father who prayed to the lord a father who um everything he did seemed to be focused around the lord and then we had a mother whose very name means that that god's delight was in her what a privileged home Manasseh didn't grow up in, in the ghetto. Manasseh didn't grow up in a, in a drug-filled family. Manasseh didn't grow up, uh, you know, where there was like abuse left, right and center. He grew up in a godly home. But he was still bad. You know, and sometimes maybe as parents, we kind of second-guess ourselves. Did we do everything that we could have? Here's the thing. Hezekiah and Hepzibah maybe had a piece that, we did everything we could. We gave them all the tools they needed. We, we you know, we we prayed for them. We talked to them about the Lord. We we took them to church. We didn't just send them. We took them. We did all that we could. And they've still gone their own way. But we did everything we could. You know, sometimes we can do all we can for our kids. There comes a point when they then make up their own mind whether or not they're going to walk with the lord or not and manasseh made his choice and that's the bad but then we come to the ugly the bad was in response to his family but the ugly comes in the rebellion towards his faith uh, and again if we skip back across to 2 chronicles chapter 33 uh, and when we see what what, what he did Verse 2 says he did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 3 says that he built again the high places, that he reared up altars for for Baalim. He made groves, worshipped the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in God's house. Um, God said Jerusalem was where his name would be. God said that he would put his name in Jerusalem forever, that God was to be worshipped in Jerusalem. God's temple was meant to be a place where people could come and worship the Lord. The presence of the Lord was there and what does Manasseh do? He sets up altars in God's house. He builds altars to the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He causes his children to pass through the fire. Child sacrifice. He sacrifices his children to Moloch. And we saw a couple of weeks ago what a wicked, horrendous, terrible death that was. As that bronze statue was heated and as the hands of Moloch were heated to intense temperatures. And the child is placed in his hands. I would doubt very much whether or not that was a quick death for the child. So just want you to have an understanding of how ugly Manasseh's behavior is in the sight of the Lord. He sacrificed his children. He observed times and used enhance, enchantments, used witchcraft, dealt with familiar spirits and provoked God to anger. Last week we saw how, how, how Hezekiah was such a good king. He tried to wipe out idolatry. If you remember, Rabshakeh came against uh, uh, Jerusalem. And what he said to the people of Israel, uh, to to the Jewish people was, Hezekiah has kind of taken all your gods away. Because what Hezekiah did, he removed the high places. He took away the idol worship. What he wanted to do, he wanted to get people back to worship in the one true God. He wanted to get people back to worship in Jehovah God. He wanted to get people back to worship in the God of the Bible. He wiped out idolatry, reestablished the worship of God, got rid of the bronze serpent that people had had worshipped, the one that Moses held up in the wilderness. He was a man of peace. He reached out to the northern kingdom and said, Come, you know, let's celebrate the Passover together. Let's reconcile this broken relationship that's been ruined for the last 200 years. Let's get back to worshiping God. He was a man of prayer. He found victory over the enemy, not through the sword, but on his knees. Manasseh was the exact opposite Of his father. All that his father stood for, Manasseh stood against. All that his father built up, Manasseh destroyed. All that his father destroyed, Manasseh built up. Everything his father was, Manasseh was not. All that his father revered, Manasseh reviled. All that his father loved, Manasseh hated. All that his father adored, Manasseh simply despised it with everything that was within him. Rather than leading the people of Judah to do right, he led them into more and more and more sin. How incredible that it said that Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen That the Lord had destroyed. If you remember, the whole point and the whole purpose of Israel coming into Canaan was because the the inhabitants of Canaan at the time that they came to the promised land were so wicked and were so idolatrous and had committed acts far worse than anybody had ever seen before. That was God's judgment upon them. And now God was saying that the Jewish people who were meant to be a light to the Gentiles, that were meant to point Gentiles to their God, now they were being worse than. Heathen, do you know that's a damning thing when our behavior is worse than those around us? When we are meant to be a light to a lost and dying world, when we are meant to be a testimony to those around us, and our behavior is not just as bad as theirs, but it's worse. We should know better because of who we have dwelling inside us, because of the instruction book that we have at our disposal. You know, going through some of the, the accounts of the Old Testament, I always struck by three accounts that happened with Abraham and then Isaac committed the exact same sin when they lied to the kings at that time. Remember when Abraham twice Said the Sarah was his sister, and Isaac did exactly the same uh, with Rebecca years later. And both kings, or the, I think it was three, three kings, uh, you know, said to Abraham and to Isaac, "What have you done? You know, God spoke to me, and God spoke to, if you like, a non-Christian to rebuke a Christian for their behaviour. We are meant to be different." We're meant to act different. We're meant to be a light to a dark and desperate world. But Manasseh just made everybody act worse than the heathen around them. He was an out-and-out rebel. And you might say, well, he was only 12 when he came to the throne. How bad could he be? And do you know when you're a teenager, you don't really change that much when you get into your adulthood, pretty much how you kind of behave and the path that you head out on as a teenager is pretty much what you end up, even in your, your late years, unless Christ makes a difference in your life. And I can promise you this, if it wasn't for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ got a hold of my heart at the age of 21, I dread to think what I would have been like because I can promise you this, as a teenager, it wasn't pleasant go in. You know, you you ask my parents. I mean, look at them, bless them. They don't need in their sixties and they I put years on them. Not until Christ gets a hold of your heart and makes a difference and makes a change. Something drastic needed to happen to Manasseh. You know, that's why Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful lusts, to follow righteousness, faith, charity, agape, love, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Manasseh was sinful in his youth. Manasseh was sinful as a young man. He was sinful in his late 20s and he would continue to be sinful until, until God got a hold of him. Nothing would change Manasseh's personality, unless Christ changed it. Nothing will change us unless Christ changes us. He was bad in response to his godly upbringing, in response to his family. He was ugly in regards to the rebellion that he had for his faith that he should have had. But he was good because he received redemption from the heavenly father in verse 10 of chapter 33 it says and the Lord speak to Manasseh and to his people but they would not hearken wherefore verse 11 says the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria uh, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon and when he was in affliction he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the god of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to jerusalem into his kingdom then manasseh knew that the lord he was god i think manasseh has been termed as the prodigal son of the old testament Uh, and it's incredible that as wicked as he was and as rebellious as he was, God spoke to him. When you think about it, some of the characters that God spoke to, you would think, why would God speak to somebody like that? The outcast, Hagar, the angel of the Lord, her by the fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur, and said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou and whither wilt thou go? Jonah, that runaway prophet what did God say as he got a hold of Jonah as he was pouting outside the walls of Nineveh because God didn't destroy the city God spoke to Jonah and said doest thou well to be angry to Elijah uh, on top of Mount Horeb in that depressive state he's just had a great victory on Mount Carmel uh, Jezebel has threatened his life so Elijah there uh, again in a, in a fit of depression in a, in a in a a time of a, 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 of great uh doubt says please just let me die and god speaks to his heart and says elijah what are you doing here what doest thou here elijah to the treacherous judah um jesus said friend wherefore art thou come to the disloyal peter Christ on the, on the beach during that breakfast said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And to the godless King Manasseh. I, when you read his account, when you read of what he's done to Israel, when you read of, uh, of the people that he's killed, when you read of the, 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 the religious um, uh, rebellion uh, that he's made the nation to, to follow along with, how can God speak to somebody like that? And I'm glad he does. Because that means that God can speak to somebody like me. And that means that God can get a hold of anybody's heart. And speak to them. The Lord spake to Manasseh. And here's the thing. God wasn't interested in who Manasseh was. God was interested in who Manasseh could be when he had that relationship with the Father. You know, if we were to look at a lost world and we would see maybe a drunkard in the street or a drug addict or or somebody uh, responsible for an abusive relationship or somebody that had such hatred and anger and hurt in their eyes and we would see somebody that we would think is beyond all hope of redemption. But God looks at that person and doesn't see who they are right now. He sees what they could be in a relationship with him. He doesn't see their failure in who they are as a person. He sees their potential in who they could be with him. And I'm glad he sees that because when the Lord first looked at me, there was nothing to offer him whatsoever. God knows what we are. He knows our sins. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our shame. But he knows what our potential is. That we have as a child of God when we serve him. The greatest thing that Manasseh had going for him, it wasn't his godly parents as important as that was. It wasn't the fact that he came from a good home. It wasn't all the money that he had in the bank. It wasn't the royal blood running through the veins. The thing that Manasseh had going for him more than anything was the fact that God loved him. There is not a single person on this planet that you will look at that God does not love. And here's the thing. This is why Calvinism just boggles my mind how people can think that God would purposely send somebody to hell because there's not a single person on this planet that God doesn't love. And if God didn't love them, there would be proof in the fact that he sends people to hell. But he doesn't send people to hell. He offers people a chance of redemption to come to the way of Calvary, to come through the cross so they can have eternal life. That's how much God loves a wicked world. The best thing Manasseh had going for him wasn't the fact that he was a king. It was the fact that God loved him. God commendeth his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The fact that God spoke to him was proof that he loved him. Listen, if God didn't love him, he wouldn't speak to him. Why would he? I can't believe all the wickedness you've done. I'll just leave you to your own devices. You deserve to be locked up in Babylon. You you deserve my judgment. You deserve everything you've got coming to you. But God spoke to him. And he wouldn't leave him alone. Because God loved Manasseh, he didn't cast him off. And just like the prodigal son, he brought him to a point where Manasseh recognized and realized his sin. Manasseh would not hearken to God's voice in verse 10 and then in verse 11. God brought something upon Manasseh that brought Manasseh to the end of himself. He let him have his fling, he let him go his way, he, he let him sow his wild oats, he let him do whatever he wanted to do. And he did that so he would come to an end of himself. Look at the prodigal son in the New Testament give me my inheritance. He has his inheritance. He has his own way. And what does he do? He wastes it on riotous living. He wastes it on, you know, drunken stupor. He just blows it all on living it up and ends up in the pigsty. God will let you go for a while. You know, we look at this crazy world and we think, what is this world coming to? And it's as if the Lord says, do what you want to do. You know, we've told God to get out of our homes. We've told God to get out of our schools. We've told God to get out of our communities. We've told God, in some instances, to get out of the church. And Sometimes God gives the people what they want. But that will only take people so far. Ecclesiastes 11.9, Solomon said, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. You reap what you sow. God won't force himself upon people. If people want to live a, a particular lifestyle, God will say, go ahead and live that way there might come a time where he'll bring them to the end of themselves not only did he let Manasseh have his fling so he would come to the end of himself but he spoke a word of warning to him God spoke to Manasseh and even though Manasseh ignored it the first time around it must have had an impact on him because by the time he got to Babylon and was at the end of himself he called upon the Lord we don't know what God said but I'm sure there was a reproof of sin in there somewhere. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Who wrote that? Manasseh's father wrote those words. The very fact that God reproves us is proof that he loves us. And God afflicted Manasseh Wherefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the host of the king of a city, verse 11, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him into Babylon. Just like the prodigal son coming to the end of his tether, coming to that point where he's in the pigsty. There Manasseh is brought to Babylon. And God afflicts him in order to bring him to his senses. Sometimes God allows trouble to come into our lives, so it draws us and drives us to our knees so that we call upon him and plead for him to intercede on our behalf because we can do nothing of, uh, in and of ourselves. God brings Manasseh to this place to recognize his hopelessness, to recognize his need Of trusting in God. God did this so that Manasseh could be redeemed. Imagine this guy there bound in Babylon. Imagine all the people that he's murdered. Imagine the, the direction that he's brought the nation in as he sets up these idolatrous images. That he's dabbled in witchcraft and he's dabbled in everything that the world has had to offer him. And then the Lord says to him, humble yourself and pray. I'm the king of Israel. I'm not praying to nobody. I'm the one responsible. You know, it takes a lot. Like we said, you know, it's not that people are too bad to be saved. It's people are too good. Because pride is the one sin that will keep people out of heaven. I do not need God. You know, I, I watched a, a video of somebody just asking a question, do you believe in Jesus? And do you know the amount of vile answers that this person received? He wasn't trying to preach at people. He was just generally asking, do you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? And people were literally spitting on this guy with such vile hatred. The world has become too proud to even admit the fact that what's going on right now is not right. Everybody is doing that which is right in their own eyes. If you want to identify as an alien, you'll be celebrated. Good for you. You want to identify as a pink unicorn? Oh, this guy's incredible. you identify as a Christian and you're part of the problem. The world is too proud to admit that maybe God does exist. Because if God does exist, then there's certain rules that have to be adhered to. If God does exist, then that would mean that sin exists. And if sin exists, that would mean that there has to be a punishment or a payment for that. And if there is a punishment and a payment for that, that that would mean that either we go to heaven through Christ or we go to hell by rejecting him. So the world, in its pride, would rather say, I'm doing fine, thank you very much. Can I say this? It doesn't take a really intelligent person with an IQ of over 200 to realize that this world is not fine this world is in a mess and this world is getting worse. And I don't care who's in Downing Street and I don't care who's in the White House and I don't care who's in the Kremlin and I don't care who's in the Nesset. The only one that is going to make a difference in this world is not a single politician. It's only the Lord. That's the only one that'll make a difference. Because he's the only one that can change the heart of man. Oh, well, Manasseh was bad. In response to his family upbringing, he was bad. And he had no excuse because he was a perfect home. He was ugly. In, re- in rebellion to the faith that was, that was a part of his family and as a part of his heritage. He was ugly because he rebelled so much that he did anything he could to spit in the face of God. But nobody is beyond God's reach. For God so loved the world. and um, That includes everybody. That, that pretty much includes every single person on this entire planet that ever has been, ever is, or ever will be. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Manasseh was good not because of who he was, but because of who God was, and that redemption can only come from the Lord. I, I'm glad I know Him today, and I wonder if you were here this morning, you've never trusted, him. if you're watching online and you've never trusted. Him, I wonder where will God have to bring you in order to get your attention? Where will God have to bring you in order for you to listen to what he's saying? For 2,000 years, he's cried out how much he loves you by pointing us to the cross of Calvary where he sacrificed his son in a demonstration of his love for you. What will it take for you to realize that God can save someone like you? No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, no matter who you are, God can save you for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved even the wickedest king that Judah ever had could come to a saving knowledge of Christ father we're thankful again for this day and for this time together this morning lord we pray that you continue to speak to our hearts today lord we recognize that We make many mistakes in our lives, Lord, and we can blame it on a whole host of things. But ultimately, we need to take responsibility for who we are. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So help us, Lord, to recognize the fact that we do need you. Even after salvation, we're not perfect. And we still stumble and we still fall. And there are aspects of our lives that are bad. There's aspects of our lives that are ugly. But the only good thing about us is the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you help us to recognize that he dwells within us today. And that he can help us, guide us, direct us. That's the purpose of him giving us the Holy Spirit. He's not left us here on our own to figure this out by ourselves. We have you a word. We have the guidance of the, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we pray you would help us just to shine the light and the love of Christ to a world that's full of hatred and is steeped in darkness. Help us, Lord, to be that light as believers that others might come to know the love that God has for them and that they too would turn to the Christ who died on Calvary and would call upon his name. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We stand and sing our last hymn together. Pass me not. Oh gentle Savior.
1: We pray, Father, to those listening, whether here or online, who have made a mess of their lives as Manasseh did, that they shall do what the prophet Isaiah exhorted, look unto the Lord Jesus and be saved all the ends of the earth, am God and none else. Thank you, Father, that as we sometimes sing in another hymn that could be in the ocean filled, where the is a parchment made, where every blade dust a quill, and every Man, by trade to write the love of God about would drain the ocean dry, mm-hmm. and nor could the scroll contain the form, though stretched from sky to sky. Mm-hmm. And we pray, God, well that someone listening this morning who realize that just as the love of God made it possible for as sins to be forgiven, they can come the same way and call upon you and know, without any doubt at all, that you love them. And die for their sins, and that they put their trust in him, they like an said and be certain of a place in heaven. We thank you for the pastor's word for just this morning, and may we never write anyone off, for so those, Father, who have been prayed for, for many a long day, there are those here this morning who have prayed for their words, and their hearts seem as hard as they are. may we not give up, but may we be faithful in well doing, because in due season we shall so we give you facts, Now save his name, but that his glory.